feel like we should open with the fact that someone just hit my car while we were waiting to start recording this. You know, that would be a good way to open the pod. I still should get, like, <laughs> music. Yeah, we should we should have music. But uh, I have I have a decent enough excuse to not have music. Hey, guess who's got the plague? Uh, guess who caught the Rona? <laughs> it's your boy. We are officially dating this. <laughs> we are recording this two days later than scheduled, which means it will not be edited because your boy got the Rona. Yeah. Your boy's slowly dying. <laughs> speeding up the dying process. You know what's speeding up the dying process? The U-Haul that just hit your car? God. I get... I get it, okay? I get that, like, we wanted a thematically appropriate introduction, <laughs> but I really didn't need a car accident to be it. A literal car accident. Oh, it's been a weird day. It's been a really weird day. My second day doing nothing but laying on the couch, just trying not to die, saving my energy for this recording. We get the microphone set up, I got the audacity running, ready to sound check, and there's a knock on our door, and our neighbor is like, is that your car? And it just got hit by a U-Haul. Yay! So we paused everything, and I had to go out and try to get insurance information, and I say try because I did not succeed. Not for lack of trying, he doesn't have any. Yay! Ah, uh, yes, let's rent a U-Haul, a notoriously easy vehicle to drive, oh, without and it's, insurance. It's the box truck kind. It's Ooh. the big boy. Ah, big boy. Did you at least get the, uh... The plate of the U-Haul? Yes. Good. Yes. Like, we should probably report it to U-Haul. Maybe they'll double charge him. Yeah. Because he probably... Because when we rented a U-Haul that one time, did we have to give them insurance info? I think it was included in the contract. Okay. But I think it's expensive. Yeah. It couldn't hurt. If you use it. Yeah. It couldn't hurt to reach out to U-Haul and see. Especially, uh, allegedly, things we <laughs> may now know about this individual may have put his name in Google. Google may have said registered sex offender. The only thing I'm going to say is that if you're going to be a dumbass... Don't be a dumbass to someone who literally skip traces people for a living. And and don't be a dumbass to that person when their husband has been bored. <laughs> so very bored. For so long. And now has something to do. <laughs> like, look up information on who you are and what you do. Speaking of bored. Mm. Uh... A lot of the characters in the novel slash book or movie that we uh, both consumed. We. Who who are we? What are we doing? Oh my god! It's it's been a weird day. <laughs> it's been a very weird day. This is another episode of soon to be a major motion podcast. I am Billy Beck. I am Cody Beck. And this is a podcast wherein Cody reads a book. I watch the movie or movies. Based on the book. And then we talk about it. Like yeah. a podcast do. Yeah. In true podcast form. Audio enjoyment for your ears. And Mr. Beck. Yes. Yes, ma'am. What was the book? <laughs> what was the homework assignment this week? What was the homework assignment this week? <laughs> what 11th grade project? <laughs> 11th grade? I don't... 
I'm trying to remember when I was assigned The Great Gatsby. Because, obviously, people know what we're talking about. It's the title of the podcast. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Made into a film by uh, Boz Lerman, most recently, in 2013. And I did not write the director's name down of the 1974. Oh, no. I intended to. But, uh, again, I got the Rona. (laughs) I have an excuse to be bad at my job. Um, but yes, uh, it was sometime in high school. I can remember the classroom. It might have even been 12th grade for me. I feel like it was freshman year for me. Actually, okay, so my... It was 12th grade for me. So my high school was weird, um, because I was in the AP English classes, our reading assignments were wildly different from everyone else. Um, because we mostly got to pick our own reading assignments, which is how I ended up reading Lolita, uh, as a senior. Um. Why? (laughs) Listen. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) That's also the same class we read Fight Club for. Do you want to read it again? Because Kubrick made a movie. I know. There's actually... mm, We'll save it for that pot. Um. (laughs) So... Uh, I believe, I want to say my high school did it in, like, freshman or sophomore year. Because our class did A Tale of Two Cities. I did that, I want to say sophomore year. Gatsby was senior year. I didn't take AP English classes. Because I was taking the AP Physics. I was in the AP Calculus. And I was very tired. (laughs) I took five math classes in my four years of high school. I took three. And I had to take four language arts classes. So my senior year, I said, fuck it. I want to go easy and not take an AP. I don't even think I took honors. I took, like, college prep. Yes! (laughs) And when it came time for finals that year, I was the only person in that class with an A. Which in my school meant I didn't have to take the final. (laughs) Also, if you took an AP test, you didn't have to take... Or if you passed an AP test, you Ours didn't have was to take as long final. as you were taking the AP test, that counted as your final. Oh, yeah. So I didn't take any finals. So the whole last month of my senior year was chilling. Um, <laughs> but Gatsby, uh, it was definitely assigned. I know for a fact I read at least the first chunk of it. I don't think I finished it. The weird thing is, I think they did show us part of the movie in class. Because when I was watching one of them, well, obviously the older one, I was graduated in 2007. Um, I know, age. Um, When I was watching the 74, I started recognizing visuals. And I think it's because they showed us at least the end in class. They might have shown us the whole thing and I slept through it. I did that a lot. (laughs) Movie time was nap time in high school. I... uh have never read it. I never had an interest in F. Scott Fitzgerald. I tried to read Tender is the Night um, when I was probably in, like, eighth grade. Um, I didn't know he wrote anything else. Oh, I mean, obviously he did. He's, like, whatever the great American author or whatever is said about him. I, I only know Gatsby. Yeah, um, I... 
I was always more interested in his wife because I had a Sylvia Plath complex. And when did you realize you were queer? Listen, I don't need you <coughs> judging me for my lack of self-awareness because if I did not have that lack of self-awareness, we would not be married. <laughs> hey, this is coming from somebody who didn't realize he was queer until he was fucking 30. So, it's fine. I'm turning 30. Speaking of turning 30, let's uh, listen to some audio from a trailer, <laughs> and then we'll get into it. Turning 30, it's too old for Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> New York, 1922. The tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher. Gatsby, you read it for the first time. Yes. I watched them for the second time. Now, I will clarify. Uh, my plan was, I'm going to watch all the film versions. At least six. <laughs> I was going to say, do you have 24 hours? Dating, dating back to, I think, 1926, there was a silent version. Really? Yeah. I, I kind of want to find it now. So, the thing is, this was not like critically acclaimed this was kind of a disappointment for for f scott fitzgerald it was better than his previous disappointment um but this was kind of a disappointment for him really yeah um so this was actually his like first foray into like serious novelization because he and his wife were poor uh but they didn't act like they were poor 
Um, so... Hmm, like a certain character? A. Um, they... He was living... They were living off of these small articles that he... Articles or uh, stories that he wrote and sold to the Post, I think. Um... And that was making them, like, enough money to live on, but not enough money for their tastes. Um, so they had actually just come back to New York in 1922, the year that he wrote The Great Gatsby. And um, one of the things that's really interesting that happened in 1922 is there was a, like, the first sensationalized murder case in the U.S. Ooh. It was a double murder of a uh, married man and a married woman who were not married to each other and were having an affair. Uh-oh. And there was not... It's the Hall Mills murder, if you want to look it up. Um, took place in New Brunswick in 1922. And um, it, is it is, as most of these true crime stories are, a tale of absolute and utter police incompetence. <laughs> um, I will give them the tiniest bit of slack considering that it was 1922. And police were still trying to find slaves at that time. <laughs> um, and so the this murder would have been all over the newspapers while uh, F. Scott was writing the book. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, so the... Versions I did watch, uh, as I stated before, were the 1974 uh, version directed by Jack Clayton. I don't know who that is. Uh, he's best known for The Innocents. I also don't know what that is. So, nothing too crazy to talk about there. Um, I also watched the 2013 version, directed by a new friend of the pod... Boz Lerman. Oh, boy. Oh, Boz. Oh, Boz. Do I have thoughts and feelings <laughs> on Boz Lerman? Would you like to get into some of those thoughts they, and feelings? So they're complicated. They're very complicated because my first exposure to, to Mr. Lerman... Unfortunate choice of words. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, was uh, freshman year of high school when we read Romeo and Juliet... And our uh, English teacher showed us his adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Also the same leading man. Yes. <laughs> I did not put that together. Because <laughs> it was like, what, a 10, 20 year difference in age? Um, just enough time just, for Leo DiCaprio to get a new girlfriend. I was about to make that same joke. <laughs> Sorry. We need new friends. Um... But I remember really enjoying it because it was so interesting seeing how he would take the um, old, not old English, what's, is that the right term? For um, how, like the, the... Yeah, Elizabethan English. Elizabethan English. The Elizabethan English dialogue, completely unchanged, but set in modern Los Angeles. So all of a sudden, a longsword is a shotgun with longsword etched in it. <laughs> and my hormone-addled teenage brain thinks that's just the coolest shit. How high art is this? How avant-garde? Me not understanding what those words mean. <laughs> Loved it. I don't think I've seen it since. I have I've an itching desire it. to see it now. I don't think I've ever seen a movie version of Romeo and Juliet. Really? Mm-hmm. We'll have to change that. We'll have to... We'll do a bonus episode. 
<laughs> and we'll, we'll sit down and we'll watch Romeo plus Juliet. I'll watch you struggle through reading it. Oh, God, no. Never again. I don't want to read Shakespeare anymore. Um, but, uh, and then Moulin Rouge came out. And as a young theater queer who didn't know he was queer, um, everyone loved Moulin Rouge in my friend groups and fell asleep during it. Didn't get it. It didn't click with me the same way Romeo Plus had. Listen, I just... Ewan McGregor, at the height of his powers. Do you know what? That was also the height of me suppressing things. Fair. So I can't look at sexy Ewan McGregor and not feel things. Maybe that's why <laughs> I, I, I denied the power of Moulin Rouge at that time in my life. But I feel like one of the hallmarks of Baz Luhrmann is um, the sort of decadence and yeah. sumptuousness. And I feel like he is an excellent choice for something like The Great Gatsby. And you know what? There are some things in this movie he did very, very well. I was expecting to not enjoy it at all. Mm-hmm. I actually liked it. So, liked? You've seen some of the movies I like. That's not necessarily a measure of a film's quality. But he, his use of a soundtrack that is like 65% Jay-Z <laughs> on 20s fashion, Oscar award winning production design and costume design. And it's gorgeous. The movie is, it's, it didn't start off gorgeous. It started off with some bad CG uh, landscapes, which I don't like. Find, find a location, paint a matte painting. Don't, CG, especially like then, lighting's never right. It looks fake. Yeah. I don't like it, but it's only a few shots early on. And then there's some shots later, but the CG, uh, there's some crossfading with, and zooms and party scenes. So oh, okay. In the... Specifically, the apartment party. You can kind of get away with some of the surreal. There's like a guy on the street playing a saxophone, and it zooms in on him. But like the rest of the background fades away, and the party itself fades in behind him. And he's doing a lot of cool editing stuff, and that's what he does so well, because the party scenes in this are frantic, and they're energetic, and the music's bumping, and it's not. So the '74 in the party scenes, yes, literally '20s music. They literally play and do the Charleston. Of course they do. And it works. It makes sense. It fits. It fits what that movie's going for. This one, it's like... H to the Izzo. And I'm sorry, I'm white. I wasn't allowed to listen to that music as a kid. I don't know what the song's called. But that's playing... Is it called Izzo? It might be just called Izzo. Um, that's playing while uh, some wealthy African Americans are chugging alcohol in a car crossing the Queensboro Bridge into Manhattan... And it's incredible. Like, it's... Oh, shut up, Siri. Um, it's incredible, and it's gorgeous, and it, it makes perfect sense for what he was doing for a 2013 audience to kind of relate the party atmosphere. Like, my generation doesn't understand that the Charleston was the equivalent of rap music. It's like... You know? It's like uh, Knight's Tale. The way music is used in a night scene. Exactly, exactly. Like you want to create the feeling and the vibe, and you know that the ex- the period sometimes. So it's one of the things that I hear a lot about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, and what that did well is. Um, why are you making that face? Is- no, you are not about to drop a book and then at the end say we're doing that next. Not this time. Darn it. Um, so anyway, I, I did actually have a point about that movie, which is. Um, 
the costumes are not necessarily period correct, but they get the vibes right. And that's what I think Baz Luhrmann does mm-hmm. well, is that you need to get the vibes right, and it doesn't necessarily matter if you're getting the... Um, if you're exactly completely period specific. Right. Like, that's that's exactly what he does perfectly, and that's, that's the advantage he brings to this. The disadvantage with it is his his style, the the fast paced editing, the crossfades, um, the music, the heightening of the extravagance. It's he's sacrificing character development at times. Character development in a Baz Luhrmann movie, right? So um, he's the screenwriter on his. Uh, actually, Francis Ford Coppola was the screenwriter on the 1974. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's why I wrote down his name and not Jack Clayton. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of dialogue was exactly the same. In both? In both. So I'm pretty sure ripped from the novel because Coppola didn't sue Lerman, <laughs> at least as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and I feel like he would have. Yeah. So, I mean, this novel is considered, like, the quintessential great American novel. Oh, I had a point I was making. Oh, sorry. Sorry, the, the COVID brain fog, it's real. I lost the end of my point. Um, the point I was making is this. Uh, in the 74, there's a scene towards the beginning when they are... Um, when Nick is meeting up with Daisy and Tom and uh, Jordan for the first time. Yes. There's a scene where Tom expresses how he hates being called hulking. And it's kind of a, a point. Like, it's it's letting you know, like, he can be easily set off. He's prone to violence. And there's that tension throughout the film because of it. Because he's also played by Bruce Dern. So, uh, Laura Dern's dad. That does not help me at all. That's fine. Didn't help me much either. Uh, I was hoping you'd <laughs> recognize him. I recognize Dern, but <laughs> but he's he's a like a he's an intimidating presence in the movie. Yeah. And him like starting to snap at the word hulking, and like there's a, a couple of lines of dialogue about it. It gives you this sense of tension. And then a few scenes later, he um, hits uh, Myrtle at the apartment. Yes. And it's like breaks oh, her nose. Okay. Yeah. This is happening. Um. In the Lerman, because of the editing style, that whole scene is like, it's almost like a fever dream. There's just snippets of dialogue, and you just hear the word hulking in the background at one point. And I, I knew, because I had just watched the 74, oh, this is that part of the character. But it's not being set up here, it's, it's I'm bringing outside knowledge into the film to try and build it up a little bit more. So that's, that's where he's at a disadvantage there. Okay. So, uh, you brought up actors, which I do want to talk about. Yes. Um, But I feel like I'm going to contradict you a little bit having not seen the movie. Okay. I do think that the the party scenes feeling like fever dreams is 100% intentional. Oh, absolutely. That's a vibe that you get from the book as well. Because, like, there's literally a chapter where Nick doesn't remember what's happening, so it's just disconnected paragraphs. The thing is, this isn't one of the party scenes that this happens during. It's during, uh, this it's during that first conversation. You're right. So it's, it's not earned yet. He earns it for the apartment party. Yeah. He earns it for Gatsby's parties. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's not necessary yet. It, it felt like almost he was trigger happy, and he really wanted to to, to get that Set energy up, you know, let you know what kind of a ride you're in for. It's 
something that this the um, pacing of the novel reminded me of as well is the slow boiling in um, Do the Right Thing. Ooh. Because you have, the instead of being concentrated into a single day, the energy of the summer is being concentrated. It's the energy of a summer. And that's just kind of swelling to that boiling point of that ultimate confrontation. And I think the ultimate confrontation, the climax is not the murder. I think the climax is um, Daisy, Tom, and Gatsby. I don't think the, I think, I think that's the emotional climax of it, and after everything you see after that is fallout. Yeah, the um, on his birthday, that scene. Yes. When they're when they're at the plaza in New York. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, and and that's something that the the seventy four got so well. I actually wrote down. It's a very sweaty movie, and I thought <laughs> do the right thing while I was watching it. That's a very good, good uh, observation. Um, because as it goes on, and then they're in there, and they're just pissing sweat, and it, it's it was a, a great juxtaposition of like the the lavishness and the glitz. There was a lot of um, soft focus in the '74 as well, so every diamond had that little like plus shaped uh, lens flare mm-hmm. on it, like things shown that didn't need to shine, and including faces and the sweat and the greasiness and it it is that point and and to your point that the climax is that scene and the accident is aftermath Mm -hmm. in the book is the accident described on page or does it happen off page um you see it's kind of both okay so it's like a, a third person omniscient not quite omniscient, but like third person limited, where it's being described from the point of view of people who who all kind of came upon it later. And then you get it because you get it from like one of the mechanics and you get it from the husband and you get it from um, someone else who's staying with the husband, but you don't actually see it. You just hear it described from everyone else. And then um, you come across it with Nick and uh, Jordan and Tom. And then they hear from everybody else what had happened. They they actually come across the scene. Like they, they, yeah, they, they yeah. arrive and then the police are already there taking yes. witness testimony. Yes. That's basically uh, the 74 does that. Um, the uh, Daisy and Gatsby leave the apart or the uh, hotel. Are they dismissed by Tom? They're chased out by Tom in the 74. Okay. Um, but- in the in Lerman um, they're just kind of dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next thing that happens is Jordan and Nick and Tom, Tom arrive at the gas station in the car. Oh, there's something's going on. Then they hear snippets. Then Tom sees the body. And that's how we find out. Lerman actually shows the accident. Oh. Like in slow-mo. And then it cuts to oh. Leo DiCaprio's Gatsby holding the wheel, but it's shot ah. in such a way so that you can't tell if he's reaching across or if he's driving. Ugh. But it kind of takes some of the... It, it moves that focal point, like you were saying, that climax to the accident. And I think you're right. I don't think that's the point. No. Like... The, the like, big... Like, the, the real death is Gatsby's hope. Yeah. When he realizes that she does actually love Tom, or she did at some point in time. And that... 
they weren't married, as he says, for these five years. The the line of the book, it, for me at least, was I mean, because this this book is eat the rich the book. Oh hell yeah! Um, Fuck them. <laughs> but which is fascinating, coming from someone who was desperately trying to be rich. Um, hey, you can eat what you're jealous of. Fair. Um, so the line of that made the no book, sense. No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, the line of the book for me is. Tom and Daisy retreated into their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together towards the end. Um, And that is like, that explains it. And it's because you could probably make a whole argument about um, the symbolism of Daisy and of Tom. And I, I would definitely be interested in hearing a compelling argument about like white women and white feminism getting in bed with fascist ideas because they think they're going to be protected. I can see that. But also, in the end, you want what's easy. And for Daisy, staying with Tom is easy. And mm-hmm. it's not that necessarily getting with Gatsby would be hard, but it's that she wanted both or she wanted things to stay exactly the same. Yeah, like she... She didn't want to give up her her life at all. Um, the yeah. the quote from the film, and I, I it's probably in the book as well, is they smash things up, then retreat back into their money. That is yes, that is a shortened version of it. It's basically they yeah. they retreated that yes mm-hmm. yeah. So actors. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about the cast. Uh, let's start with the seventy four. Yes. Um. I'm very interested because you told me that there is a cameo from a previous friend of the pod. Yes. Uh, from the uh, old Death of the Nile. Yes. Uh, the actress who played Jackie, Mia Farrow, is Daisy. Ooh, I like that. And, I like that a lot. And the actress who plays uh, Jackie's former best friend, Linnet, plays Jordan. Of course she does. <laughs> and it it made me it filled my heart with so much joy. That, for that little tidbit for us. That explains um, <laughs> why you were like, hey, who who are these characters again? Yep. Uh, Mia Farrow is absolutely incredible. Um she she plays the role um so wispy. Like a stiff breeze would tear her in half. Um, and at one point, it's described as her voice is made of money, or yes. something along those lines. Yes. Um, uh, Gatsby is played by Robert Redford. All right. All right. Young, attractive Robert Redford. Nails it. Um, Nick is played by Sam Watterson. Your face says you recognize the name. I can't put... Yes, I recognize the name, but I can't put a face to Jack it. Jack McCoy from Law & Order. Oh my god, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Die recently? Did he? No. I no, I'm thinking of the older guy. You might be thinking of somebody else. Yeah, you're yes. thinking of the other guy. Yes. Um, no, yeah, he's young him. All right. I had that moment. Like, I have bad face recognition, and I was like, I know this face. <laughs> I've seen this face a million times. <laughs> um, the other one I wanted to bring up is Myrtle is played by Karen Black, who I know from Nashville. Oh. Um, I don't okay. know if she's in anything you've seen. Who is she in Nashville? I 
did not write it down. Okay. There's so many characters in Nashville. There are so many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> Want to talk about Baz's cast? I do. There's the obvious. You got Leo DiCaprio. Leo DiCaprio <laughs> playing uh, <laughs> the Great Gats himself. Playing old Gatsy. Uh, Carrie Mulligan as is yes. Daisy. Yes. Uh, Joel Edgerton is Tom. Remind me. I know the name. I can't put a face to um, it. His credits include The Great Gatsby. <laughs> really? Um, I'm not sure what you... He was the Lord in The Green Knight. Okay. Okay. That's what it was. Uh, Nick Carraway. Toby Maguire. Ooh! Yes! No, I love that, actually. I love that. I think it's great casting because he's such... He, he has the ability to be such a good everyman. But that brings me to an issue I had with Baz. He gives Nick too much voice. <laughs> he's, he's too much of a character. I like, mean, Nick is <clears throat> the voice of the novel. He's, the, the way he's set up in the 74 is he's more of an observer. Like, he has his opinions, but he more keeps them to himself. Mm-hmm. And it's more just like little subtle things with his face. But there are full-out scenes in, in Lerman's version where Nick is just... Uh, like yelling, asking why. What's the word I'm looking for? He's, questioning. He's he's just outright questioning motives of characters, and he's show he's showing more emotion than I wanted to see from him. Okay. Like I, I wanted his role to just be that observer, the the audience surrogate. Surrogate. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I feel like he should be. Is that how he is in the novel, or am I completely off base here? No, he's he is very much a uh, reader surrogate, um, but also like there are some points of his character that are, um, uh, how do you say? Uh, there are some points of his character where he does have an arc throughout the book, um, but even um, even Fitzgerald in writing about the book, uh, he said that Gatsby was like wispy. And, like, was an amalgamation of multiple real men, including himself. Mm-hmm. And Nick was not. <laughs> okay. So, so, so Nick wasn't any part of Escott Fitzgerald. No. So then why in Baz Luhrmann, uh, his, his adaptation, yes. is the framing device Nick Carraway in a sanitarium in Chicago Ugh. writing the novel The Great Gatsby? Ugh. That makes the whole him not being a surrogate worse, in my opinion. I mean, he's, he's definitely... the one telling the story. Why is he Mary suing himself <laughs> right into it? You know, it. He is. It's such an odd choice. Yeah, that is an odd choice. Now, when you say sanitarium, do you mean like sanitarium in the health sense or sanitarium in the mental health sense? I assume mental health sense. Okay. Um, like the opening scene of the 2013 film takes place in. Perkins Sanitarium. Yeah, that's... Where he's talking to a a health professional, I assume mental health professional, about his experience in New York, and he starts telling him the story of The Great Gatsby, and then he decides, oh, I can't tell you, maybe I'll write it down. And then he, at the end of it, he has his manuscript, and the title is just Gatsby, and then he handwrites The Great over it, and then roll credits. So, originally, this was, the book was supposed to be called Among the Ash Heaps and the Millionaires, but 
one of his many writer friends was like, that's too long. You should make it shorter. They weren't wrong. Uh, he was also going, well, sorry, the original story was going to be called that. And then it expanded into a novel. Um, and he was going to call it, and I am shaming my Greek mythology roots here, but he was going to call it a specific name of a, uh, Roman myth about a slave who became rich, uh, but then realized that riches weren't good enough. Um, basically because, like, his wife still sleeps around, whatever, and he loses all his money. Um, but his, his friends were like, dude, no one's gonna get that reference. Call it something else. Yeah. Um, um yeah. I had two other casting. <laughs> yes. I wanted to tell you about. George Wilson is played by Jason Clark. Uh, John Connor in The Bad Terminator. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Um. Really? Mm-hmm. You went, oh, I don't know if I like that. The one I absolutely adored, and she is woefully underutilized. Myrtle is played by Isla Fisher. Oh, that's fascinating. It's so good. Did you say who Jordan was played by? Uh, I did not, no. Because I was curious about Jordan as well. Jordan was played by uh, Elizabeth Debicki. Okay, so um, one of the things that's interesting is that Daisy, like you described, you described the performance in the 74 as wispy. Mm-hmm. So Daisy is like, um, uh, what's his face? Um, Gatsby. She is an amalgamation of a bunch of other characters or a bunch of other people that he knew in real life, primarily his wife. Hmm. Uh, so she kind of takes on this sort of like face of femininity. She is the feminine, um, and it's not a very good portrait of feminism or not feminism of femininity. Um, but she is described at various points as having both dark and blonde hair. And I feel like every interpretation that I have seen, she's always blonde. And I feel as though that is more of the modern audience. Well, because there's like the code when you're looking at stuff and you've got like blonde is always the most beautiful. Right. Um, And then you've got like the brunette that's not quite as pretty as the blonde. And like you can see this all through classical literature to go back to Pride and Prejudice. You've got blonde Jane and dark haired Elizabeth. In my head... Betty and Veronica. Betty and Veronica. Uh, in my head, I also saw... Um, although Betty and Veronica is subjective. Um, <laughs> I also saw uh, Jordan as having dark hair. I do like Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, she, her hair was dark. Her hair is dark, okay. Yep, both versions, uh, she had dark hair. Both versions also played her with uh, played uh, Daisy with blonde hair throughout. Yeah, um, which is interesting. I do like Carrie Mulligan. Um, I thought her... I thought the choice of casting her was excellent. Um, I barely remember her performance. Okay. I don't, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's, I, granted, the, the COVID was hitting <laughs> during this one, which, which tracks, because it feels like, like, like some elements of this, it felt like Boz uh, took some time off editing Moulin Rouge, had a fever <laughs> dream of his own, while watching the 74 Great Gatsby, and then they birthed this movie. Um, so, 
forgive my my remembrance not being uh, to par. Um, but yeah, no, I don't I don't recall much of her performance, which is probably good because I recall Leo's performance because it's shit. He's he's not good in it. Like I'm happy for him. He won his Oscar like a year or two later. He was not gonna get it for this. He was not good. His accents all over the place. Now, okay, question. Yeah. Do you think that was a choice, or do you think it matters if the effect is that it came off poor? So, I, I thought this through while I was watching. So you know, a movie I adore is Vampire's Kiss, starring Nicolas Cage. Yep. You're groaning. Hear me out. A lot of people will look at that movie at face value, specifically Cage's weird accent, and go, what the fuck is he doing? It is explicitly a character choice, and it's in the movie. If he's trying to make himself seem better, if he's trying to increase his social status, he puts on this fake accent. And then when he's not doing that, he's just talking like, you know, a normal northeastern accent or california accent whatever accent nick cage has i don't know whatever accent i have america um so i that was in my mind when i recognized his accents all over the place i could not tell it would just appear and disappear at times in conversations between just him and nick in mm-hmm. the same conversation it would be there in one line not there the next so i don't know if it was a choice um, if it was a choice, it didn't translate well. They shot it in Australia. He might have just been talking a lot with the crew and started picking up some things. I don't know. <laughs> you know? It's, it, it wasn't clear to me. Didn't really make sense. I, I thought he was not good. Also, I know it's like a point, the old sport thing. Yes. This... My, favorite, my favorite joke is that he just forgets everyone's name. <laughs> I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> um, in the 74, once, maybe twice a scene, it'll come out. And it'll just, you know, come out in, you know, turn, like, just fluidly in, in, the, in the sentence old sport, you know, he just drops it in there. He, like, in the 2013, it's like every other line has it in there. And he's, like, emphasizing it. Oh. And it's very clear he's trying to emphasize it. Oh. And I can't tell if it's Leo is trying to or the character Gatsby's trying to because he is putting on an act. I assume his backstory's in the in the novel about being on the boat with the guy and the guy says old sport. Yes. Um, now, is the guy's uh, Cody is his yeah, name Cody. actually <laughs> Dan, Dan Cody? I think is his name. That's correct. Uh, is his wife in the movie at all? Dan Cody had a wife. Yes. So. Uh, it is heavily implied um, that his wife married him for his money and well, sorry it is not this is straight up in the book his wife is much younger than him married him for his millions of dollars and basically sent him out to sea hoping he was going to die so she could inherit all his money instead he ended up with Leo DiCaprio or uh, Jay Gass who took care of him uh, and eventually, it, like, he sailed around the world with him, like, chilled out with him for, like, eight or 12 years, um, until eventually his wife, Ella Kay, came on board, and he died a week later. So it is heavily implied that she poisoned him, or in some other way killed him, to inherit his money. That might have been in the Lerman. Okay. Um, I don't remember seeing the character, but there was definitely, I was frantically writing notes while, during one of the, um, Backstory scenes. Okay. 
Um, interestingly, the 74 version doesn't go into Dan Cody at all. Um, maybe just an offhanded reference. Um, it doesn't go into a lot of detail as to how he got his money. Just, you know, drugstores come up, but that's about it. The, the details don't come to light. So there's there's nothing about fixing the World Series or Oh, gangsters. yeah, no, that guy's in both. Okay. That's in there. That's in there. Okay. But, like, like, the... It's... So, Boz Lerman tells stories with the subtlety of a sledgehammer going through your TV. <laughs> Whereas Jack Clayton, you know, let you work for it a little bit. Um... So, like, the stuff was there. If you wanted to think about it and, and read into stuff, you could. If you didn't want to, it wasn't the focal point. The focal point for the 74 was the romance. Yeah. Um, does, does Jay's dad appear in the novel? In the end, yes. Okay. I wasn't sure because he's nowhere in the 2013, but he did show up at the end of the 74. Yeah. So he's... I wanted to check, them, check on that. I mean, if you wanted to go through and treat this as an allegory, you could basically stamp a label on every character, and you've got Tom Buchanan as old money, you've got Jay mm -hmm. Gatsby as new money, yep. you've got um, Daisy as every woman, you've got Jordan as every other woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then his dad is kind of like the the... The average citizen who just desperately wants the American dream and capitalism and bootstraps to all be true. Like, his dad in, in the film is almost proud of his son for making it. Yes. Like, he I is don't 100%. think he realizes how far his son went to get there. No, but he absolutely does not. He's so proud of his son, but he's the only person at his funeral as well, aside from Nick. Yeah, so... Oh, spoilers! Jay Gatsby <laughs> dies at the end. <laughs> so... One of the things that's really interesting in the book is that F. Scott Fitzgerald, every character is a reference to either something that happened in pop culture or someone famous at the time. And um, the person that Gatsby's dad compares him to, that Mr. Gats compares his son to, uh, is a famous person who was known, like, you would only have known his name from history class because he was one of the, like, most corrupt and horrific individuals involved in, like, union busting and labor union fixing and, like, all that kind of stuff. And that specific name that I don't remember, it's like Hunter something. Hunter um, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it. it's like Hunter Hill or something. Um, he... Everything is a dig, and you can take it at face value, or you can uh, you can just let it rest. And that's one of the things that, of course, it's why this is a great American novel. I'm mm -hmm. literally reading a second book right now about the writing of this novel. Um, <laughs> so, it's one of those things where he thinks that he's a great man, and he's kind of right, but it's it's that conversation about what does what does the pursuit of a goal single mindedly is it always a good thing? Yeah, like what what does greatness mean as well? Like Yeah. Did he achieve his goal of a fulfilling life with Daisy? No. No. Did he achieve his goal of living past twenty eight or however old he is? Um <laughs> did he achieve a goal of being rich? Absolutely. Is he great? Depends on who you ask. Yeah. If you're asking Nick, he's great. Because he was willing to do all this for love. See, 
I don't think in and the he, novel... he also never gave up the hope. Like, he died waiting for Daisy to call him. In the novel, Nick straight up says he doesn't like him. Oh. But, <laughs> but he also... Oh, Toby Maguire, like... Like, it was almost a gay subplot how much he loved this man. <laughs> it's like a... It's one of those things where it's like, you know how you don't... Every part of something repulses you, but to an extent, you ad- you admire the dedication to how repulsive it is. That's kind of Nick's view of Gatsby. He's so repulsive to everything about Nick that Nick can't help but be charmed. It's wonderful how you choose to describe our marriage like that. <laughs> But we don't have a pool, so I won't wind up dead in the bottom of it. You can dream. Um, that, for legal reasons, that's a joke. Um, so, the death. Yeah. Um, I had a question about that, actually. Yes. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Mr. Wilson. Yes. When, when and where does Tom tell him the car belonged to Gatsby? Off page, you find out from Nick confronting Tom, and Tom not. It's it's an implication. Okay, it's one it's it's one of the few things that was different in the two films. That's why I wanted to ask. In the seventy four, um, Wilson is, you know, ready to kill whoever killed his wife. Yes. And recognized that car from when Tom came up. Yes, when Tom... So, did Tom say it was his car? I don't remember. So in the book, he makes a big deal about saying it's his car when they go to gas up. And then when he comes back in a different car, he picks up Wilson, like bodily picks him up and is like, that's not my car. Okay, so in the 74, he walks like nine and a half miles to Tom's house. Yes. Confronts Tom and Tom is like, no, that's not my car. It's that guy's points across the bay. Yes. And then he walks around the fucking bay to get to Gatsby. Yes. In Lerman's, it's when they come across the accident, at the time of the accident, is when Wilson confronts Tom, and he's like, no, that's not my car. You ah. know who it belongs to, though? Guy Jay Gatsby. The guy who throws all those parties? It's his car. Of course, none of them realize Daisy's driving. Yeah. But also, just a Nick, means to an end for all of them. Nick knows. Nick knows as soon as they see in the book that Daisy was driving because of something that both he, something he said to both Jordan and Daisy Mm. because early on in the book, he's chiding Jordan about her bad driving. And she's like, Oh, well it takes two to make an accident, which is an actual quote from Zelda Fitzgerald. Cody, did it take two to make an accident tonight? I mean, I guess it was my fault for parking. (laughs) Um, but yeah, she's basically like, everyone will get out of my way. It's fine. And he, George, uh, Nick says to her, what happens when you run into another driver as bad as you? And it's heavily implied that he's talking about Daisy at that point. Mm. Cause he also makes a joke about how Daisy's a terrible driver. So he does, he knows it's Daisy right away. Yeah. He in, doesn't 100% know, but he knows. In both films, he finds out, um, when Gatsby describes the accident to him after the fact. No, he realizes it's Daisy and he's, immediately. he's surprised in both films that Daisy was driving. 
He's he's the uh, the epitome. The whole like last like three chapters of this book is just the epitome of Nick going disappointed but not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But he another thing that's really interesting. You know the symbolism, the green light. Oh, let's talk about the green light, Jay Gatsby. So, uh, I can quote a Bo Burnham song. Boo. <laughs> Come on, you knew it was coming. <laughs> that song's been in my head all week. <laughs> So, something fascinating that I learned, actually related to traffic. Green lights, specifically in the state of New York, specifically in New York City, did not always mean go. Mm. In different, it was actually an, a thing that they were working on uh, resolving in the 1920s, was that um, stoplights and stop signs were brand new, accidents were constant and horrific, um, they said it was something like 400 people were killed in um, traffic accidents, and I think they said less than 40 people were arrested. Sounds for like any a Tuesday night on the 405, if you ask me. Hey, uh, Los Angeles traffic is a hellscape. Uh, fuck me. Um, <laughs> so the lights, it could be some places you went, green meant go, yellow meant go. Or red meant go. In some places, east and west green meant stop. Some places, um, yellow meant stop. It, no one knew what anything meant. But it's such a perfect system. That's clear as day if you ask me. So I think my personal pet theory is that F. Scott Fitzgerald deliberately made the light green because he wanted it to be vague and confusing. Because what does... What does Gatsby see? Gatsby sees the green light. Gatsby sees go. But what is that what Daisy is that means? The is that the intent? Is it actually just stop, give up? So that's something interesting, actually, that um, they do in the 74. Um, there are numerous scenes. It's The 74 is, is paced really interestingly. It's I wouldn't call it slow, but it's smoldering like that yeah. it's you know what i mean it's not like i'm getting bored but it's like we're not moving fast but we're moving and we feel the movement yeah um so there's three or four different moments where nick sees jay just staring out over the bay and you can just see a little pinprick of green light in the in the landscape just a little one and one time i'm trying to remember the specific time the light is red Oh. And I don't remember that from the novel because I, I'm sure I would have written an essay on it because <laughs> that would have been like the prompt for a final or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember that at all from the novel. No, it was I'm not in the novel. not sure what it meant, but it like at the time it was like, oh, yeah, Jay, you've gone too far. Like it, it had that kind of feel to it. So it was a nice little change on that. And going on what you're saying about traffic lights, when they made it in 74, everyone knew green meant stop. Wait. <laughs> Green meant go. Red meant stop. Yellow meant Bill, you have COVID. And your brain is as foggy as the bay between East and West Egg. Um, so, it, you know, it read differently, but more um, clearly. Yeah. Like, what the intent was with that. Yeah. Of course, Lerman, it looked like the fucking Green Lanterns flying across the bay whenever he showed that goddamn light. <laughs> Like the fucking sun crashed into Earth and got ill or something. Like, so bright. Um, but he didn't do anything clever with the, the, the color of the light. It just, it would just appear. But he didn't really, like, approach the 
the meaning of it, which I always read it as one of those things um, always bothered me about high school English class was talking about symbolism. And maybe it's the tism that I, ha- I-, I can have a hard time with symbolism and things. Mm-hmm. So I always subscribe to sometimes the curtains are blue because they're blue. Maybe the light was just green. If anything, green's the color of money. I'm pretty sure it was the color of money in 1922. So, something else that's uh, timely, or less timely. Um, You mentioned that there are uh, black people in the Lerman, I think. Now... Are there ever are the parties themselves actually integrated, or is it all white people? In Lermans, yes, they are. Okay. There are numerous uh, black performers. I believe there are numerous black party goers as well. Okay. And uh, both films did have Tom immediately out himself as a white supremacist, <laughs> with no provocation. You know, as they love to do. So how, so how how do you find a white supremacist at the party? Just wait for them to tell you. Like <laughs> So something interesting uh and a lot um, of this Oh, sorry, I had sorry. a point with that. Um yes. so like I thought it was very interesting that Lerman did have those integrated parties because he made it very clear the difference between old money and new money and that Tom part of the racism was based in the fact that these people are getting rich now off of what should be my money, you know? Even though Tom is richer than God. Yeah. And that wasn't as clear in the 74. So something that, uh, a lot of this background information that I'm getting is a from a book called Careless People by Sarah Churchill. It is about um, the writing of The Great Gatsby and all the historical events going around at the time, including the Hall Mills murder. Um, so... In this time, the KKK was actually experiencing a huge resurgence. In the year 1922 alone, there were over 400 articles in the New York Times about them. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it wasn't racialized as much at that time. It was, they were kind of adopting the fascist talking points of um, Europe at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not uncommon to see them go after even. Um, I mean, yes, obviously there was still the racial element to it, but they would also go after um, Jewish people, regardless of their skin color. They would go after Protestants. If they didn't agree with them, they would go after Catholics. So it was all about the usual fascist playbook of anyone that doesn't agree with us. Yep. Um, So They still do that, though. There's a lot of casual racism in the book, and Nick, in the book, actually when, when Tom starts talking about phrenology... Um, and saving the white race from the dark hordes, which, holy fuck. Yeah, and um, uh, those lines of dialogue unchanged for the films. Yep, that makes At sense. At least the 74. I don't know if Lerman went that far into it, but he definitely was a white supremacist. Yeah, so Nick straight up thinks Tom is stupid for having those ideas and re- and recognizes that those are bad ideas to have. However... <coughs> There is a lot of virulent racism in the writing that's just casual. And it's one of the things that kind of, like, mars this book. Mm -hmm. And I know that you can't judge based on... You have to judge it by the standards of its time. No, you absolutely do not. There were abolitionists in the 1800s. They knew this shit was wrong. Exactly. But 
it's one of those things where you can charitably assume that Fitzgerald thought that this was one of those things that he was kind of trying to do a satire, but failed with the Starship Trooper, like failed at the Starship Troopers level in that too many people agreed with it. Yeah, let's fight the bugs. Killing bugs is cool, man. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just going to read a couple quotes here that I pulled out. All of these quotes are from within three pages. Um, uh, content warning. Content warning. Um, Anti-Semitism and racism. Um, quote, the tragic eyes and short upper lips of southeastern Europe, unquote. Quote, a limousine passed us, driven by a white chauffeur, in which sat three modish Negroes, two bucks and a girl. Um, they looked at us with haughty rivalry, unquote. This one is really bad. Uh, quote, a small, flat-nosed Jew raised his large head and regarded me with two fine growths of hair which luxuriated in either nostril. After a moment, I discovered his tiny eyes, unquote. Jesus fucking Christ. That character is deliberately written to be a caricature of an existing Jewish gangster. Fucking hell. It is intentionally overblown and intentionally anti-Semitic with that sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like, this is, th this is so bad that it is obviously satire, but no one understood that. No, because we don't educate our youths in America well enough to understand what satire is and what it means. Yeah. Or it's quickly forgotten when it is educated. Yeah. Fucking hell. It's... Um, and, like, Tom laughs it's, at the um, black people in the car. It's interesting that you bring that up, though, because the, the black people in the car wasn't in the 74. It wasn't the Lerman. That's when Izzo's playing. <laughs> I did not realize that was from the novel. I thought that's something he pulled out. Yeah. Which really tells you, like, oh, what, how did Jack Clayton feel this, that he omitted that from the novel in the 70s? He, uh, he being um, Fitzgerald, this novel is about, like, classism. Because uh, you will always hear people argue, oh, America doesn't have a class system. Fuck yes, we do. We absolutely have a class system. It's just based on money. Mm -hmm. And even within that, you have old money and new money. And there's the, the thing between it. And, I mean, yes, a lot of it goes back to racism. Um, and... Um, a lot of it goes back to the stratification of American society to begin with, and you got all of the Puritanism and whatever, whatever. But this, you can't separate the character of Tom being a white supremacist who has millions of dollars from the fact that he, this, the white supremacy is a function of him having all of that money, not mm -hmm. a, uh, it's what am I looking for? What's the phrase it's, I'm looking for? It's it's a feature, not a bug. There we go. Yes, yes. Um, and that's shown in the '74 very well. I think the only black people that show up in that movie are Tom's servants. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So it's never specified. Um, is is their child? Is there a daughter in the book at or in the movie at all? Either um, of them? She appears a few times in the '74. Uh, only one time. Like, she's mentioned once, and then she appears towards the end when they're, like, going on vacation in, in, uh, Lerman's. It's funny thing, though. So Daisy's played by Mia Farrow. Yes. The actress who plays Penelope 
I did not write the actress's name down, but she, as an adult, played Mia Farrow in a TV movie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Love it. What a great bit of trivia. So, uh, I almost said Scotty, that's their actual child's name. Um, Penelope? Penny? No. Yes. Yeah, yes. the baby. Yeah. Um, she only appears in the book once. She's mentioned a couple times, but you only actually see her once. And she's brought in when Nick and Gatsby go over to the Buchanan mansion. Um, and Jay's reaction to seeing her is like, that's one of the chips out of the illusion. Because you can tell, it's described as you can tell that he didn't realize she was real. Mm-hmm. And the way that Daisy, like, dotes on her and loves her. Um, and you can see, like, it's implied that Jay's calculating, like, all right, how do I... It's it's like he's recognizing that she has love to give to other people in general, and it's not just for him. Yes. And there's a really great um, Kate Beaton comic, because she does a bunch of... Uh, Hark a Vagrant. She has a bunch of great comics about Gatsby, and I just remember the one where it's... Uh, <laughs> it's just like the three panels and it's the first panel is asking about uh, someone asked Daisy about the baby and then the last panel she's sitting on top of the baby and she's just like what baby because <laughs> that's it's clearly just the baby is a plot device um, and it's clearly like she just is there she is there to demonstrate that Daisy does love other people yeah um, she, she's utilized a lot more in the 74 the, which is the child which is kind of hot but yeah, because she, she literally, as far as well, I recall, she's talked about and she only appears once. Yeah, she appears a few times in that one. Um, but yeah, the only time Gatsby sees her is that scene that you're referring yeah. to. And Before they grab two bottles of whiskey, get hammered in a hotel, and then drink, drive, kill a person on the way home. Yeah. Um, so, the... Oh, fudge. Oh, the, the reason I brought up the baby was that her... So all of the people that weren't identified as um, high class, and I'm including Gatsby here, had a specific speech mannerism. Is it adding old sport to the end of every sentence? Well, no, it was like different. Like um, Gatsby has old sport and he's talked about like describing his way of speaking is described as being very... He's putting too much effort into it, and that's a sign that he's not who he says he is. Mm. Because he's thinking about his words, trying to be careful. Maybe that's what DiCaprio was going for. Maybe, but... It didn't, it didn't work. Redford did it so much better. He's so charming. If, if you could just take him and put him in the Lerman movie, it would get an extra star for me on Letterboxd. Um, like, the, the nurse that appears with uh, Penny is has a horrific mammy accent. I don't think we ever saw a nurse in the movies. Uh, um, yeah, the only time you you see the baby, she is with someone. And I keep saying baby. I think she's like four or five. I, I think she's four. Is it hinted at all that she's Gatsby's kid? No, because it's been five years. That might have been... That might have been me... Uh, the That might have been the vid then. Okay. Because like one of the movie, I can't even remember which movie, but it had a moment of, oh, is the kid Gatsby's? <laughs> No, she she is definitely Tom's. Okay. Um, and then the um, Jewish mobster has a horrible... I don't want to call it an accent, but he doesn't say tease or anything that's like a, a, a plosive. Is that right? That ends in T? Sure. Um, 
it's a G. It's replaced with G. So instead of connection, it's connection. And it's written out that way, and it is awful to read. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, yes, there is the racism in the book, but you also have the class stratification in the way that people are written. Like or the that. way that they speak, which is an interesting element to add to it. I feel like that's a bit more subtle in the films, but it's not something I, I wrote down or recognized. So. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, that's going to be way more clear on the page. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like how when you hear someone talking in a Cockney accent, you immediately know that that's a lower class character. Yeah. There's a whole movie about it. Yeah. Um, let me see. Let me scroll through my notes and see if I have anything else that I want to... Oh, so the reason that we did this in the first place, um, I actually kind of got what what uh, our pal Chuck was going for in Fight Club. What's Chuck's last name, Cody? No. <laughs> <laughs> Old Chuck No, author of Fight Club. <laughs> Weird how all those vowels make the sound no. <laughs> Palinic. 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 Just, just think of just think of our theater. Uh, Costume director. Ah. And the guy I work with. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a joke and I can't. Um, so, I get it. I get... Because you have the violence going on around and you have the people, you have the person who dies. I can totally see uh, your narrator from Fight Club as Tom. Oh, I could, see him as, is, I could see him as Nick. Because I was thinking, Tom loses Myrtle. Edward loses, uh, oh my god, I forgot his name. Bob? Big Bob? Bob, yeah. Loses Bob. Sorry, you said Edward, and I was like, who's Edward? Oh, sorry, Edward Norton. Um, Jack. <laughs> Jack. John, Joe. <laughs> narrator. narrator. <laughs> I, I had narrator pegged as Nick. That's metaphor. what makes sense. Gatsby's Durden yeah. doing this illicit business, but hey, he's staying with him in his nice place rent-free. I feel like I I can see like I can see a rotating cast of everyone is everything. Like I can see Daisy and Jordan being mushed together to become Marla. Um Tom and Nick being mushed together. Because all of Tyler's terrible ideas have to come from something, right? Yeah. And then you've got Tyler, who is both Gatsby and, um... Tom? No, uh... Oh, the, um, the gangster guy? Yes. Oh, God, what is his name? Wolfsheim. Yeah, him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I see where he was going with it. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's not like a one-to-one. No. Which makes it better, almost. Yeah. Like, because you don't want to do a one-to-one, because then you're just... Then you're just making the movie Barbed Wire, <laughs> which is just Casablanca, but with titties. <laughs> um, did I say Barbed Wire? Barbed Wire, I think is the name of that movie. With, um, what's her name? Pamela Anderson? That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a, vi- a visual podcast, uh, but I made the uh, universal big titty gesture with my hands. Huge tracks of land. <laughs> just great personality. <laughs> um, so... Overall, you liked, you enjoyed the movies. I I thought both of them uh, were good. Um, I preferred the 74 
there were a few um, little things that Lerman does that bothered me. Yeah, that tracks. Um, the, the, the long, slow uh, CG drone shot into a sanitarium with CG snow and knowing that this was shot in a computer. Ugh. Like, that... Uh, it never it never ages well. I get sometimes you have to do it, but if you're shooting something that takes place in the sanitarium in Chicago, for a budget this big, you could find a sanitarium in Chicago. Game At least shoot the real place and then guss it up. Like, Game of Thrones pushed back shooting for like a year so they could have actual snow that we couldn't see anyway because they didn't like the damn movie. Yeah, like, you have the budget to do it. Do it right. Um... That's, but that's neither here nor there. I actually did like both. I do recommend both. I kind of want to see the silent version just to see like what? how how it was interpreted at the time, because we have how it was interpreted in the seventies. I feel like we were all taught interpretations in school yeah. from you know the sixties through to the nineties. We saw how Lerman uh, interpreted it. Now, how did they how did they take it at the time? Like I'm actually curious yeah um and i don't have the energy to find and read criticism of the age i enjoyed the book i understand why it's called one of the great american novels i am glad that i didn't read it as a kid because there you can't read this book without having experienced some of life and i know that sounds like such a like grown-up thing to say or whatever like oh i'm 18 and i'm gonna live forever and i know how everything goes but no you have to have experienced that choice like i know without saying it on like the podcast like i know that there are definitely moments in both of our lives where we had the choice that daisy has or a, a yeah. choice similar to what Daisy has. Like, I don't mind talking about it on the podcast. When I moved to L.A., I could have stayed at home and lived in my parents' house forever. My name is on the deed of that place. I'm 3,000 miles away from it because I made the choice to chase a dream and come out here. And I also made the choice to stop chasing the dream and have a committed, healthy relationship with you. Like, that, those are distinct choices I made in my life. And I did not make those choices by the time I was 17 reading this in high school. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I made a very similar... I could have made a... I made the opposite choice that Daisy did. <laughs> which is, it was, do I cross the country for the guy that I'm in love with? Or do I settle and marry somebody else? Because I guarantee you, I would have found somebody to marry in Pennsylvania, and I would be the worst trad wife. Oh my god, same. I grew up in a church. That's the closest we have to arranged marriages anymore. (laughs) My dad was trying to set me up with so many people that I was not interested in. All the time. While I was with you. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I didn't like him. Yeah, Uh, and then he cheated on his wife. Who saw that coming? Ooh, airing dirty laundry. (laughs) So I think I think it's safe to say that we enjoyed it. It's it's something that's good. If you haven't read it since high school, honestly, it's less than it's less than two hundred and fifty pages, yeah. the version that I read. It's if you read fast, you'll probably be able to read it in the time it would take you to sit through the two hours twenty of <laughs> Boz Lerman's film. Yeah. But also I kinda wanna get stoned and rewatch Boz Lerman's film. <laughs> Because the visuals are incredible. Like, I, I legit went in expecting to hate it and started off hating it. And by the end, I was like, no, this is actually pretty decent. 
It's not a bad movie. And that's more a testament to the, the story and the writing that he just ripped from the pages of the novel. Yeah. I mean, hey, the the better part of Valor, or not the better part of Valor, uh, what is it? good artists create, uh, great artists steal. <laughs> I feel like you took that from a movie. <laughs> Probably. I'm trying to remember which movie. It's not going to come to me. Um, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap oh, up? I, part of me wants to talk about how the 74 kept Gatsby's backstory until towards the end of the movie. Uh-huh. It was more of a third act reveal and a mystery element to it. Whereas Lerman just kind of told us about halfway through all of the history. Like Nick, Nick told the audience of his novel, Jay's history before Nick found out in the timeline of the story, Jay's history. And I'm so not sure how I feel about that choice. That seems accurate to the novel to me okay. because you, he tells the audience, the book is kind of a strange combination of Nick speaking directly to the audience as though he is writing something down and also him telling the story as he's in it. Um, you find out about, I want to say it's chapter six, um, where you, Nick, uh, tells Gatsby's story but then he kind of jumps back into the story and he's like, but I didn't know this at the time. Jay told it to me at this time. And so it's like, oh, so you kind of just like interrupted the flow of the novel. Yeah. Because I believe... That, and that's a criticism I had of the movie, but I guess that's not on Lerman. Yeah. He's, he's being realistic and uh, uh, honest to the source material. Because I believe what happens is um, it is... Nick finds... Sorry. Nick reveals that to the audience after... Daisy and Gatsby um, meet and see each other and it is Im- heavily implied bone. Bone down aggressively. Oh, it's it's not <laughs> even implied, it's shown. <laughs> there's there's like one sweaty sex shot. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I liked it. Carrie Mulligan's too old for Leo anyway. <laughs> and on that truth, I mean, no. <laughs> Uh, I think we're ready to wrap it up. I think we're ready to wrap it up. Want to know what we're going to talk about in two weeks? I would love to know what we're going to talk about in two weeks. Our next episode will be on The Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> little Hannibal Lecter action here. A little Jodie Foster. Mostly I want an excuse to rewatch a brilliant movie. Uh, so content warning for that episode will be transphobia. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, just shit. So, just so you guys are all aware. <laughs> and I get to try to find that book. Shouldn't be hard. Probably not, no. Um, But until then, Cody, if people would like to find you online, where can they do so? Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, and Instagram at Pretty Special, P-R-I-T-T-Y-S-P-E-S. H-Y-L on Twitter and U-L on Instagram. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, And you can also find me on Goodreads at Cody Beck. Um, William, where can people find you on the internet if they would like to? If you would like to, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Not Facebook. Don't look for me on Facebook, please. (laughs) If you would like to, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Letterboxd, at Mr. Billy Beck. That's M R Billy Beck. 
You can also find the show on Twitter at SoonMajorPod. Thanks, Sandra. <laughs> what? I said thanks, Sandra. Why are we thanking Sandra? Because Sandra's always the one that says the podcast. <laughs> She's always the one that gives out the podcast handle on the ITR podcast. <laughs> you can cut that. I'm going to. <laughs> we'll see if I cut anything, man. The Rona. I'm so tired. We've been talking for a fucking hour 20. I'm going to take a nap. Um. Okay, bye. H to the is to is it? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the eighth wonder of the world. The flow of the century. Oh, it's timeless. Ho! Thanks for coming out tonight. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. I appreciate that. Uh. H to the is O, V to the is A. For shizzle, my nizzle used to dribble down his.